All right, good morning, everyone. My name is Jeff Wagner, and I am the associate pastor here at Trinity. And while Joel's away, I'm excited to share with you this morning and get a chance to do that. Um, let me pray for us. I'm distracted. I need to, I need to pray. Lord, we, we have just sung about how you are king, how you're the one that's to guide us, about how you are good. And, and I ask that you would give a, give a glimpse to what that means in our life, what that means in both our heart and in this world for you to be king, for us to know that you're good, but to see how you're making that known. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Joel's having you all launch into a series where it's obviously, what would Jesus undo? What would Jesus undo? And some of you, you had a chance to be able to share. What did people, if you actually shared that when you went to someone, if you didn't, that's okay. You were doing a good job faking it. But what did you share? What were some of the things that you shared? You wanted Jesus to undo, what did you say? Mental disorders. What else? Did you share that with someone? Will, they totally took your question. They ran with it. They ran with it. What would you say? Poverty. Poverty. Okay, there are people. What would Jesus undo? You're coming off a 30-hour famine. Jesus, undo hunger. Undo poverty. Undo mental, uh, the mental disorders going on. Undo violence. Undo war. Jesus, we would want you to undo. We can make a list and say, Jesus, that's what we want you to undo. And when you look at the scripture, what, what Jesus has come to do, he, when he came to make all things right, this is the promised one who would come to heal, to, to be able to, he, and in his ministry, he cured diseases. He raised people from the dead. He taught with authority. Like Jesus came to undo all this crud that we see around us. God is at work, and God has been at work in Jesus and is at work now. And we look at that one day when all will be made right. But there's something that Jesus also came to undo that we don't, normally don't think about. Jesus came to undo the crud we ourselves have. See, when Jesus recognizes there's poverty in the world, there's hunger in the world, there's difficulty, there's violence, there's all these things, but there is a poverty so deep within the human being. There's something that's going on within us that if we don't face that first, how we live everything else in life is going to get messed up. It's going to get distorted. It's going to affect how we see the poor, how we see those in need, how we approach justice issues. It affects everything else we do. So, so for this morning, we're going to read a parable. A lot of you have probably heard of it before, and it is the most well-known parable on the planet. And people that aren't even Christians, they don't know what this parable's from. They just know it. They know the story. And, and we're going to look at it because what what we see that Jesus is doing is he's uncovering something that has to do with our, our very soul. What's, what's going on? What needs to be turned right side up? And so the passage is in Luke chapter 11. So if you have, if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 11. And it's the parable of the Good Samaritan. People, that's what it's commonly called. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. It also could be called the parable of the self-righteous guy who thinks that he's all good. That could also be what the parable's called. The Bible doesn't actually say this is the parable of the Good Samaritan. In fact, who the parable is told to is a guy who thinks he pretty much has it together. The story begins, we see in the scripture, it begins in Luke chapter, uh, chapter 10, verse 25. I think I said 11, I meant to say 10. Chapter 10, verse 25, and it says this. On, an, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. 
Okay, so starting right there, what is the motivation of this dude? Who is the guy first? Expert of law. Okay, his whole, I know, you're, I, I'm just saying to you, he's, he's out to challenge him. His first question, he's a guy who has an expert of law. He's very smart, incredibly smart. He probably has first five books of the Bible memorized, word for word. This is a guy who knows all the legal things of the faith. He is in the highest ruling class. It's different from the Pharisees. You guys might know about the Pharisees. And I saw the, that up there with the Pharisees. Pharisees were actually not professional hired people. They were like a kind of a grassroots, everyday people who said, we want to take our faith super serious. And, and they went in kind of extreme ways to do that. But these guys, you've got this expert of the law. He stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, I love that first I want to say, if you've ever read the Gospels, Jesus is the most brilliant person who has ever lived at being able to take whatever someone's actually asking, like the question they ask, and turning it so they have to actually look at their soul, look at their own crud. It's amazing. He does this. So the first thing he says, okay, what, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? What do I have to do to inherit the life that God has? This is really this life that's supposed to stretch on into eternity. How do I get that? And then Jesus flips it back to this guy. What's written in the law? What do you, what do you say? Uh, how, do you, how do you read it? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. He just leaves it right there. He knows the guy is going to be totally unsettled. Like, okay, wait. You know, this can't be that easy. Jesus, you just said that. It's not that easy. I know there's something else here. So what's really, what, what's the other part of it? And, and so he's, he's thinking about what he says, what Jesus said. And then it says, he, the man wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? So, okay, let me, I'm a legal dude. I'm trying to figure out how to do this. So I'm testing Jesus. I, okay, I'm supposed to love God with all of me, and then I'm supposed to love my neighbors myself. And Jesus says, sure, love your neighbors yourself. That's what it looks like. The guy starts to think about it. This is what Jesus wants us to do. Starts to think about it. Okay, let's define neighbor. Who's my neighbor? Who, who's the guy I'm really supposed to love? Who's my neighbor? And then Jesus responds like he often does by telling a story. And Jesus tells this story. This is the most heard story that people know. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when they saw the man, he passed by to the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by to the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and, said to the, and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense which you may have. 
Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This story, Jesus is so brilliant because what he's out to undo is this guy's own self-righteousness. We have in the story, the first character in the story is the guy who's asking the question. He is self-righteous. He is educated. He is fine. Yeah, okay, I believe in God. Okay, yeah, I do good things. That's it. I'm good. Check it off the box. And, and Jesus takes that and dismantles it and says that your way of seeing the world, you've missed the kingdom of God. You think you have it all together, so you miss the need that you have for what God is doing and what God's specifically showing him through Jesus. And, and so we're introduced to these three, when we look at the story, we're introduced to these three characters. First, we have a certain man. What do we know in Jesus' story? What do we know about the certain man who's traveling? What do we know about him? Is he rich or poor? What do we know? Is he, what nationality is he? Anyone know? You guys talk a lot. It's very engaging. It's hard to keep you quiet. Uh, <laughs> okay, funny to me. Okay, um, but what do we know about this guy? I'm not, it's not a trick question. What do we know? What does the scripture say? It says nothing. He is a certain man. Jesus does this on purpose. He is a certain man. Is he rich? Is he poor? Is he 15? Is he 50? Is the guy, is the guy like wearing, was he wearing royal stuff? Was he, was he awesome? Was he a jerk? Was he nice? Was he evil? We know zero about him. And Jesus does that on purpose. We don't know what his race is. We don't know what his religion is. We know nothing about it. We have some, we can maybe have a couple hints. He's going from Jerusalem. So, okay, maybe he believes in God. Maybe he went up there to worship. Maybe since he's traveling this way. Well, you could infer a few things. But Jesus purposely leaves it. So all we have is a dude who is bloody. He's stripped of his clothes, so you can't tell whether, what his wealth is. You can't tell. And because he's been, the crud's been beat out of him, you can barely recognize, right? If he's on the side of the road, it's like, I don't know. It's just like something. It's kind of like if you've ever driven... Well, I don't know. When you're driving by and you see, like, roadkill, and you can't help but look. But you're still like, I don't know what kind of animal that is, but it's something that I will drive this way. You know, like, honestly, you're seeing it's something on the side of the road there. I know it's probably, you know, okay, that's a person, and I can't really tell anything about him. Like, Jesus takes the story at that point. So the first that we know is there's a certain man. We know nothing. This is not a poor man. We don't know. Rich, all those things. We don't nationality, nothing. First person walks up to him, and we have within the story, and if the people are hearing it, and you've probably heard it before, and, and so you, if you've heard it before, like from the time you're little, you, you get numb to things. You don't like, they don't actually stand out to the same degree. But this certain man, you, you, can, grow, you can grow numb to how radical the story is, because as the guy starts to walk by, we hear a priest. And the priest, he's a professional, dude. He's born into that class. And as the priest comes in, he sees the man, and we hear in this ch the text that he walks to the other side. And we don't know why. Jesus doesn't say, well, he was in a rush, or, you know, he was a holy man, so he thought the guy might die, because these could be reasons. He, he, they thought he might, he might die, so 
Um, so therefore, he didn't want to be unclean because priests had to stay clean. Uh, we, we read about this priest. So the priest who's like a religious guy, you, you introduce to him, you would think he, he's going to go to the side. He's going to help this guy, maybe. Maybe. And then you hear about the Levite. And as they're hearing the story, if you try to picture it for the first time, if you'd never heard it before, the Levite is kind of like the custodians of the temple. They're the doers. So it's like, all right, Levite will do something. The priests, they're too stuck up. Okay, so now you get to the Levite. They're like the doers. They're, they're like Adam Hemingway. I mean, so they're in the, in the back working on things. I'm not joking, actually. He does a lot. But, but so here's this guy. You know, okay, the Levite's coming. Then he just passed to the other side. And then we, so we have these first two guys. And, and we see that they're passing to the side. We don't know why. Why? And I'll just ask it and, and see what you guys think. But why, why do you think they may have passed by? Why wouldn't they have stopped as they're going on this road? What do, you, what do you think? It's not rhetorical. I'm actually saying for out loud for people. Why do you think they did not stop? Side of the road. What do you think? Why wouldn't you stop? Just, just say it. You're good. Okay, say a little louder. Okay, <laughs> okay, good. Why else? Yeah. Inconvenient. This is going to take time. It could be apathy. What? Someone else, yeah, maybe someone else will. That's a great question. What if it's a trap? No, this, seriously, it's, shh. It could be a trap. Like, honestly, I've, I've wondered about that. You're on the side of the road. We did, you're wondering, like, what if this is staged? One of my close friends, they went to help someone on the side of the road coming back from Mexico. They were actually in the U.S. They were on the freeway, went over to stop them, and um, to, to stop to help this person, they pulled out a gun, and they ended up robbing him. Uh, I was like, holy cow. It was a, a friend of mine who, shh, they, uh, yeah, it was, it was crazy. Uh, but, but anyway, what if it's a trap? Like, that, that's true. This is risky, right? This is risky. That's supposed to be risky. Uh, this is risky. Why, why else? Why else wouldn't you stop? What's that? Okay, yeah, I don't, I don't know you. I don't care. Why, why else? Any, any other reasons that you can think of? Yeah. Okay, say that again. It, okay, so in what way? What, in what way might it affect them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so with Risky... It might hurt me. It might be costly. <coughs> All right. Anyone else have? I saw a hand, but then it disappeared. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So what's, like, what is my benefit? How will I actually gain if I help this dude? Yes. Yeah, no, because they probably really are. You're, we'll go with don't time, incoming time, busy. Yeah, that's really good. So we can, okay, go for it. There's no way of knowing if they, unless they get close. Yeah, 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 yeah. So part of it, 
Yeah, you know what I'm going to say? Will it even help? Like, will it even help if I stop? If I actually stop, let's be honest. I look at the side of the road. I see the guy who's been beaten up. I see this, this guy. I don't know his background. I don't know his race. I don't know who he is. I don't know if he's good. I don't know if he's evil. This is risky. And, and I don't even know if I actually do something, I have no idea if it's even going to help. Like, I might spend all that time. I might be late for whatever I'm going to. I might risk myself. I might try to help this dude. You know what? He might die anyway. It, it might not even help probably not worth my time. Okay, so those are the first two guys. Does anyone identify with those two? Do, do any of these things, when it comes to the needs of the world, when it comes to those in difficulty, do any of you find yourselves saying this? Is this in your heart? If, that's, if you say no, then I don't know if you're telling the truth. Because like, this, is, this is in my heart all the time. All the time with dealing with issues and difficulty and figuring out is this a situation uh, in what, when what has come upon my path today, is this something where I'm, how am I going to respond to it? A lot of times you guys have given really good responses. These are the very things that we end up, we end up coming up with. So then we get to the third dude. We get to the Good Samaritan, or we call him that, the Good Samaritan. Samaritans, a lot of you already know, Samaritans were hated by the Jews. And it was mainly because the Samaritans had actually been the oppressors for the Jews who came back from the exile. The Jews were taken off in exile. You guys may or may not know this. But, but in like the in 700s and then 586, 586 BC, temples destroyed, Jews are taken into exile. When they return, the Samaritans had stayed behind. They had, in the mind of the Jews, they had corrupted the belief. They, they only believed in a few books of the Old Testament, only in the Pentateuch, the first part. They rejected the prophets. They set up their own temple to worship, not that was in Jerusalem. When the Jews came back, they harassed them. They, they actually conspired with their enemies. The Jews hated the Samaritans. You would say that name and you would spit. It was like ultimate, the, the kind of feel of hatred and division that was going on. And so you can think of the most extreme, like honestly, within our American culture, we do see a lot of prejudice, but the level that they would have felt, we don't have comparable examples to this right now, like what we're experiencing now. We, we feel like we do, but for them, remember, they're occupied by, a ro by Rome. When they go to church, they have guards outside their church from the occupying force to the temple. They, they have, they have, you have soldiers, it'd be like you would check into the well room and there'd be a soldier from the country that had conquered ours waiting and making sure that you were okay to come in to worship. Like it was that feeling of oppression and here are the Samaritans that they hate. And so within the story, Jesus has the Samaritan. The Samaritan coming down, we don't know what he was doing. And the Samaritan looked at all of these exact same things, all of these reasons, and the Samaritan saw the man in a radically different way. Uh, he, he looked at all of those same excuses. And what we see from him is that we see that it's a, it's a guy who knows that it's going to take a lot of time. And what did what the Samaritan do? Just recount. What did the Samaritan end up doing, if you can remember from, from hearing the text? Okay, what did he do? Okay, so first, 
He went to the dude who was in need. He would have had to bandage him. He would have had to deal with the crud that this guy was in, the wounds that he was in. So he bandaged the man. Yeah. Okay, so then he doesn't, it's not like he bandaged him and said, dude, you're good, and then walked off. It's, it's cruel. Yeah, Ravenna. Yeah, so he, he, he takes the guy. He, he binds the wounds that he has. He puts him on his own animal, which means that he doesn't, the animal's no longer going to carry him or his stuff. So he is inconvenient. He is going to be more tired. He is taking risks. He is then coming to an end and not saying, I'll leave him at the doorstep and now I'll run. He goes to the inn, and then he says, I'm, going to pay, I'm paying for him. It's costly to him. It is inconvenient. It is costly. It is risky. It is someone who's having to spend of their own resources. We don't know how much money the Samaritan had. The Samaritan had. You don't know if it's like, and yeah, and then he was going to not be able to eat the next week because that was the money he had. We, we don't know. What we know is it was costly. But because the Samaritan saw this man differently, he defined neighbor differently. Differently. How did, the, how did the guy asking the question, how did he want to define neighbor? How do you think the guy who was asking Jesus this question, how do you think he wanted to define neighbor? When he said, who is my neighbor? How do you think that guy wanted, the, what, did, what did he want the answer to be? What do you think? Guy asking the question to begin with. Yeah, my friends, my loved ones, and the literal dude next door, right? The people who look like me, talk like me, don't have too big of problems, people who don't take too much time. Like really, I mean, that's probably more of what he's, what, what he's imagining. And Jesus gives this whole different picture. Because what Jesus presents is that the Samaritan sees all of this. But when he sees the man who is on the side of the road, he, ha he sees a man who is not a race. He sees a man who is not a certain class, not what, someone who's got, like, regardless of what their background is or what they think. He sees someone who is in the image of God. And even a Samaritan would have known that much. And it is interesting, like the, the Samaritan, the Samaritan is coming from Jerusalem, which is kind of interesting. Like what was going on? He knew something about God. And Jesus takes this twist to say that because the Samaritan got this, that you guys are totally missing. Because he got this, his whole life was spent differently. How he saw a man on his path was, different, was, was done differently. Because he saw this man, and he didn't look. He looked at the guy who Jesus purposely makes, the dude who is beaten up, who is naked, who you can't tell. All he is is just someone who's an image bearer of God. And, and where Jesus takes, a, takes it and, and really strips away all of the crud of why we tend to like or not like other people, and he says, no, because you are an image bearer, because you're loved by me, what does the kingdom look like that Jesus has? What does it look like to love the way that Jesus would love? Jesus says, I want to undo all of the excuses you have. I want to undo all the indifference that you have. And I want you, people of God now, this is who he's making. I want you, people of God, to be people who now, because of Christ, can see people that regardless of where they're at, what they believe, what their, what their situation you see them as an image of God, and because it is Christ's blood flowing through your veins in the sense that his heart is beating with love and care toward them, toward those around you, that that's what your life reflects. That's what you're seeing. When that person who is a jerk 
You see the jerk, but you're like, man, Jesus, somehow you love them. Like, you love them. In fact, you see them as reflecting you. It's our heart that needs to have the excuses and the stuff stripped away that if we're going to love like, like Christ, we have to be willing to face our own crud. It's what I love about this season. We're going into Lent. I, I love the fact that you guys just did 30-hour famine. Well, I love 30-hour famine. I didn't love it originally. When we first started 30-hour famine, it's a very, as someone who's, who's doing this stuff, it can be stressful. Back in the day, I used to be a youth director here for a number of years, a student ministries director and high school director. I remember doing it, and you're all stressed out, but something that it did to me is it totally, as someone who is preparing it, it interrupted my world. I didn't want to do the 30-hour famine. I was only doing it because it was what I should do as a good youth pastor. But the, the fact is that as I started doing the 30-hour famine, Jesus interrupted my life and said, basically, Wagner, you, you are focused on yourself and your stuff. Sorry, that was my last name. Uh, and, and God usually talks to me with using my last name. Not joking. <laughs> uh, so, but but it, was, it was the kind of thing where when I get to the 30-hour famine, my big pet peeve is I hate it when leaders don't first apply it to their own lives. Anyone who's a high school counselor, if they haven't first dealt with their own relationship with Christ and when they're doing high school ministry, it's like my least favorite thing ever. If you're working with the children's ministry team and you're doing like Schmidt or something like that and you're working with kids and you haven't talked about, okay, who's Jesus? What, what he's, what's he doing? If you haven't dealt with your own crud then, and then you're with these kids and you're screwing around on the side and then the kids are learning about Jesus, it drives me nuts. I'm just letting you know. It's like the biggest pet peeve in my life because I see it in my own life, right? That's why one reason why we have pet peeves. I've known when I've been a hypocrite. I know when I've had that double standard. And so um, what 30-hour famine has done is it, it allows me, it allowed me as a leader to like be stopped in my tracks and say, okay, what do you really value? What are you really doing? What do you do with your time? How do you view people? And I remember there were things that all of a sudden, after this event, I would see things different, like real-life people that I would always pass by because of this, I would all of a sudden stop. And I didn't have students with me. I would just stop. Or I would have conversations with people and everything in me was annoyed. I don't want to talk to them. They're crying right now. I mean, this sounds bad, but they're, <laughs> this sounds bad. I had a conversation with this drunk crying guy who was just like, and, and, and was wealthy. And it's like, what, what is the guy doing? And I remember just being stopped in my track. And it was like, Jesus, Jesus is like, and I love this guy. And so you're going to sit with him. I'm like, all right, so let me take your drink. Let me put it on the side here. Let's sit down, since you've already dropped one drink. Let's sit down, and uh, what's going on? And, and all of a sudden, it was like, here's where their heart's just flat out broken, and they're impoverished. Because when we do the heart work, when we do the heart work, God starts to put people on our path, and we start to notice them. Like, I think that's the biggest thing is today, if you were to tell the story, it would say, and then after the Levite, there came an American, and they were on their phone, and they walked not to the other side. They walked right over the dude and almost hit him. And as they got past the path, they didn't even realize they passed a dude who was dying. Like, I feel like for us, we might even be acquiring information about people like, oh, can you believe what's happening in this place of the world? And we're looking at it. And can you believe how, what a jerk this person is? I mean, like all sorts of things. Can you believe what a need that is? Like it and donate five cents. I mean, I don't know what it is. It's like, 
And we can do that, and I'm not, I'm not, just, I'm not inherently bashing that, but I'm saying that we can be so distracted, so indifferent, that we miss who's on our path, that God has placed before us, that God places before you today, tomorrow, the next day. Obviously, 30-hour famine, we're focused on the world hunger, world needs. We need to be focused, dialed in on that. You're offering every week. We're focused on that. But, but for us to come clean and say, God, who is it that's an image bearer of you that you've placed right before me that I'm to see? And then this is the hard thing. Who have I dehumanized? Here's what I mean by that. Here's who I act like they are a little less than the image of God so that way I don't have to love them. The dude in my class, the friend who was a jerk, whoever it is, who have I twisted this in such a way, I've dehumanized them, this is the priest and the Levite, in such a way that I can use it as an excuse to say I don't have to care about them. I don't have to love them. I can be indifferent, apathetic. And, and that's what Jesus wants to strip away in our own, our own hearts. You see, like, the dehumanization, that's why there's sex trafficking. That's why there's sla- slavery. Go- that was why there's slavery going on back in the day, and that's why there's more slaves today than there were in the 1800s. It's because we dehumanize. And when folks do that for power and for money and for trade, that's what you see. When we dehumanize in, in our own life, that's how we can write them off or just fill in the blank with what we may, what we may do. So as we, as, we start this, as we start this series, and especially as we're coming up to Ash Wednesday, this Wednesday, I love that on Ash Wednesday, if you've never been to it, Ash Wednesday, part of it is us just coming clean, admitting all this crud, admitting all this stuff. And then and you're, when you go to Ash Wednesday, it's admitting I'm frail, like Jesus I was the dude on the side of the road. I was dead, it says in Ephesians chapter 2. I was dead in my sin. I was dead in my rebellion. And yet, it says then in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7, that while I was there, not because I did anything, I was just helpless. I hadn't even acknowledged you. Christ, you died for me. You, you forgave me. You met me in my desperate place. And, and that's part of what we acknowledge this Wednesday as we start this season. Lord, I recognize my own need. And because I recognize my own need, because I've received then your grace, Lord, make me, make, make me a conduit of that. Make me someone who pours your love into this world in whatever small way or whatever big way that I can. Uh, give me the eyes to see that. This Wednesday, my prayer is for all of you. This is going to be my prayer, just to let you know. I don't, I'm not just saying this. This is my prayer this Wednesday. You're going to have a chance. You write down on a card, okay, what are the past sins that I've got that I just need to turn over? What's my indifference? What on this board do I see in myself? What are the things that I need to turn over to you? You do that. We then go forward. Even as you think about before then, we burn it. It's the only time you ever allowed to light a fire in the church. You, you actually we have the, you burn your sin. And, and there's that symbolic sen- sense of like, I am frail, but Christ has overcome. Jesus didn't just, Jesus didn't say, I'm, I'm, it's just inconvenient. Jesus became flesh because he thought you were worth it. Jesus showed that he ultimately, it wasn't just that it was costly, Jesus gave his own life. It wasn't that he looked at you and said, is he really worth it? He said, he's worth everything I have. Jesus is the one who didn't just worry about, oh, am I going to be, am I going to pollute myself by this? No, Jesus was willing to die so that we could live. 
And it's when we know that, and when we, we say, Christ, undo my indifference, undo my apathy, let me receive what, what you say about me and what you say about those others around me. Let that be what my life is about. Um, I want us to pray as we close. And as we do, uh, I want to call you guys just during this whole series for this to be just a, a season where you just say, Lord, teach me. Let me see what, other, what things I've got inside me. This isn't meant for me to say, Lord, let me feel guilty. That's not what God wants. It's instead, Lord, let me just see this stuff. Let me see others how you see them. Let me see what things in my heart need to be brought up because you see, you see me as one who's made in your image and you want to use me to be a person that's demonstrating your love in a powerful way in this world. So I want to pray. And um, as I do, I'm just going to start us in prayer. And then I just want to give you like 20 seconds of silence. And you can say to God, talk to God about whatever you've got, whatever things that you maybe see, even if it's whether it's confessing something to God or it's just asking, inviting God to demonstrate who are those who are in need on the path around that, that God has you on. So um, let me open and we'll, we'll have time for you to just be silent before the Lord. So God, we do, we do ask that you would show us what it looks like to see this world through your eyes to see others with your eyes. We, we know there are ways that we have been afraid to take risks. We've seen others as less than human. We see, uh, we see others as inconvenient or, um, or that even it just would, would upset what we want for our day. Um, God, we know that you want to give us a different lens for seeing life. So here right now, just silent prayers of both confession but also um, to offer ourselves up to you. God, thank you. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your love. Thank you for seeing us with eyes that, that, sees pa- that see past our brokenness, that see past our sin, that instead you see us as cherished and loved and forgiven. And I ask that every student here, Lord, you would pour out your spirit upon them so that as they boldly follow after you, they would see others with your eyes, that you would bring people along their path that uh, regardless of whether it will be successful or not or whether it will help or not or all the excuses that we have, that they will be people who love like you because, God, it is your love at work in us. I thank you for what an amazing group of students um, are in this room, for the ways that they've loved you, loved others, and that you've worked in them and will continue to do that lifelong. And I ask that you would bless them as they seek to follow after you. In Jesus' name, amen.